0: Man, the presence of the Lord is certainly here, isn't he? And uh, it's amazing what God has been doing. Last week, if he wasn't here, we had Vision Sunday, and we went over our vision. So if you hadn't had a chance to look at what our vision was, uh, you can go on uh, Facebook to our services and listen to the sermon. But I am going to do Vision Part 2 today. And I don't think it's enough for me to preach one sermon on vision. This, today I'm going to do Part 2. And I want you, I am going to use a passage from Scripture. I'm going to use a story from the Bible, how it relates to your life and also to the church's life, all right? And so that's what we're going to do in just a few moments. But I'm so excited about what God is doing here at Christ Point Church. And I appreciate your faithfulness to God and um, just been hearing good reports about what God is doing in and through this church. And I want you to know that I've been praying for you, and I believe God I believe God is going to do something great in your life. And I don't say that just to say that. I've been praying over these seats, and we have people praying for you, and we are anticipating the unexpected. I said we are anticipating the unexpected, all right? How many knows that something could happen any day? All right, and so uh, thank you so very much. Amen. Didn't the worship team do a great job this morning? And they always do a great job, but we appreciate their dedication this morning and all that they do. Praise the Lord. Y'all look so good this morning. Are y'all ready for me to preach a little bit? I said, are y'all ready for me to preach a little bit? So this morning, I want to deal with part two of my vision. And I'm just going to reiterate what I said last week, but I'm going to do it in a different way. And I'm going to use a passage from the Bible, a story from the Bible, all right? The Bible says in Second Kings chapter number six, second Kings chapter number six, and looking at verse number twenty-five, second Kings chapter six, verse twenty-five, if you don't have it, it should be behind me. And there was a great famine, everybody shout, a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they would besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver, one fourth of a cab of dove droppings. For five she- uh, shekels of silver. Then, as the king of Israel was passing on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the winepress? Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son. That we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. That's not a good day right there. So we boiled my son. Do you see what they're doing here? They're eating their children. So they boiled my son and ate him. And I said to him, boy, this is a good sermon on Sunday morning, isn't it? But just stay with me. I'm going somewhere, all right? And I said to him on the next day, give your son, that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse number 3. This is all in the same context of the story. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse number 3. Now there was four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we will die. Now therefore come and let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we'll only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, nobody was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of of the chariots and the noise of the horse and the noise of the great army. And they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and they left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into the tent, they ate and they drank, And they carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered to the other tent and came and sold from there also. And they went and hid it. And then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. Everybody say, good news. This is the day of good news. And we remain silent. And if we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore let us go and tell to the king's household. Lord, add the blessing to your word. Open our hearts that we may hear your word. We bind rebuke and bring to uh, dis, we bind rebuke and bring all distractions in the name of Jesus and we open our ears and hearts that we would hear with clarity and everyone shouted a great big amen. So this is an interesting story that you don't often hear of it, especially in a Sunday morning church service but let me give you the background of what's happening here God's people who is called the Israelites or Hebrews or the Jews they are the primary focus of the Old Testament and here in this story they're living in their land but they have rebelled against God because they worshiped other gods and God told them that if you do this I'll shut up the heavens and going to be, there's going to be a famine. So these people rebelled against God, and prophet after prophet warned them not to rebel against God. But God shut up the heavens, and there was a great famine. And the Bible says the famine was so bad, it was so desperate in the land that people were doing things that they normally would not do. For instance, the famine was so bad, the Bible says they were eating Dove droppings. In other words, they were eating manure. They were eating each other's children. And the Bible says they were eating donkey heads. Uh, three things they were eating donkey heads, dro- uh, uh, dove droppings, and they were eating their own children. In fact, the Bible says they were boiling their own children to eat them, and they were having conversations about, if I eat my child today, we'll eat your child tomorrow. This is how bad the famine is. Now I know that you're sitting there thinking, that is grotesque, and I agree with you. This is horrible. This is awful that somebody would even think of doing such a thing. And I want you to remind you of something, that we live in one of the greatest countries under heaven, and we are very blessed. Most of us don't have to worry about feeding our children. We don't have to worry about putting food on the table. Even if we do go hungry for several days, there are avenues and there are charitable organizations in America that will make sure that you're fed. But here in this story, the famine was so bad, they didn't have a Chick-fil-A. They didn't have organizations that would just hand out food to people. This is a bad situation. And quite frankly, it was a situation that they brought on themselves because they were living in disobedience. And God told them in the book of Deuteronomy that if you forget me and you rebel against me, I'll shut up the heavens and there will be a famine. And that's exactly what's happening here. They refused to listen to the prophets of God and God said there's going to be consequences for your actions. And so I want you to see the desperation here, the desperation of people. They were eating children. They were eating dove dung. They they, they were eating donkey heads. This was very severe. They didn't have any food. They're in a desperate situation. And I want to let you know today that any time we rebel against God and any time we put God second class instead of putting God first, there's going to be some consequences that we're going to have to pay. God is a God of love, and God is a God of grace, and thank God He is. And He loves each and every one of us. But God desires each and every one of you to change. He desires each and every one of you to grow. He desires each and every one of you to be more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And listen, folks, listen. If we rebel against God and we do our own thing, there, there, it, sometimes it can get bad. And in this story, it got bad. They, they were eating three things. Now, I know there's a literal interpretation to this, but there is also a life interpretation to this. You know, if you study Scripture, there is one interpretation to things, but there's many life applications to things. And in this story, I want to bring out a life application, and I want you to see it through a spiritual lens. Anytime we rebel against God, anytime we put God second class then we will begin to eat our own children. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about anytime God's not number one at the church, anytime God's not number one at the house, and anytime God's not number one in the government and in the nation, we will begin to start devouring our own children. Did you hear me? And that's what's happening in America. Abortion's on the rise people and listen thank God for forgiveness if you've committed that we thank God there's grace and forgiveness but the principle is it's being allowed to happen it's being condoned and celebrated and we live in a nation where people are forgetting about God and I have come to tell you today we need to return to God we need to return to prayer we need to return to the altars and we need to cry out to God in this present day for revival that will shake the gates of hell that will shake the gates of hell and to put this nation back on course. And any time we put God second class, we'll begin to eat our children. We'll begin to devour our children. Listen, if God's not number one in the church, we're going to devour our own children. I've been a part of churches and heard of churches that was so full of strife and division and discord that they had no vision for their children, they had no vision for the youth group, they had no vision for children's ministry, they had no vision because they were self-absorbed about their own issues in the church. And a part of my vision last week was we're going to put emphasis on kids and youth ministry because they are not the children of they're not the church of tomorrow, they are the church of today. And I said last week, even if children cry in church, even if we hear babies cry and children act up, that's all right. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with adults sitting in church not paying attention on their phone and acting like they're not paying attention. I have a problem with that. But I don't have a problem with children running the aisles and throwing paper things. Come on, somebody. and paper airplane. I don't have a problem with children crying and babies crying. I have adult, I have problems when adults act like children. That's when I have problems with. And so on the first Sunday of every month, we're going, to have, we're going to have kids' church in the sanctuary. The kids are going to come and worship with us because we need to teach our children it's okay to be in an adult church service and learn how to worship with adults. And that's going to be on the first Sunday of every month. They can go to kids' church all the other Sundays, but on the first Sunday, we're going to have the kids in here. Now, the nursery and the babies will stay in the nursery, but kids' church, kindergarten through fifth grade, they're going to be in here worshiping them with us once a month. Can I hear an amen? I want to let you know that kids' ministry and youth ministry is not second-class It is not second class. It is first class. They are important to God. And if they are important to God, they are important to us. I told you last week we hired a youth pastor. And they're going to come in June, the first of June. And they're going to not only be our youth pastors, but they're going to be our young adult pastors. And thank God we have a youth pastor. But it's not just their responsibility. It is our responsibility as a church to disciple our children. Can I hear an amen? And when we put God second class, listen, we'll eat our children, but also we'll eat dove dung. You know what dove dung is? Dove, now this is a life application, all right? The dove can represent the Holy Spirit, and the dung represents something of the past. And anytime God is not number one in our lives or in our churches and in our value system, then what will begin to happen is we'll always reflect on the past moves of the Holy Spirit. There's no vision for the future. We don't talk about what God wants to do because we're still living in the past. Well, I want to let you know I had some good church services in the past, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm looking for the future because God's getting ready to do something in this church and through this church. Thank God for the dove in the past, but the Holy Spirit says get rid of the dung of the past because I want to get do you with fresh power on high in the present. Is there anybody in the building that say, I don't want to just reminisce of the past. I want God to do something now. So that's why I want you to lean towards the posture of positivity. I want you to lean towards the posture of positivity. I know we, I know there's things we need to change. Listen, I'm the pastor. I see more things than you see. I'm here every day. I walk the floors. I pray. I deal with people. There's lots of things we need to change. There's lots of things we need to do. But I want to let you know I'm in it to win it. I'm not in it to leave. I'm in it to win it. I'm here with you. I'm on the battlefield with you. I'm going to fight with you. We're going to grow a church together, and we're going to shake the gates of hell and build a church together to give God the glory for. And if I'm in it, I want you to be in it with me. I'm asking you, come on a journey with me, and let's make new memorials for the future. Let's not just focus on the dove dung of the past, but let's look ahead. And they were eating donkey heads. You know what a donkey is? A donkey is a fill-in-the-blank. He's a stubborn animal. I could use that word that the Bible uses it, but I'm not going to use it. Donkey heads. A donkey usually is a stubborn animal. And when God is not number one in our churches, in our homes, in our marriages, we're going to have stubborn people in relationships. We're going to have stubborn people in the church that refuses to submit. And refuses to love God and be teachable. I have never seen in all the days of my life people so unteachable. Hop from one church to the other church because they think they got the revelation. They think there's some kind of Joseph Smith and they got the 12 tablets and they know how to do it all and they refuse to submit. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the book of Proverbs says, if you can't learn from instruction, you are a fool. That's what the Bible says. God is looking for teachable people. God is looking for humble people. God is looking for people that have a teachable and contrite spirit. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? But he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. I want to let you know something. You're not always right. And just because you're hurt and offended don't mean you're right either. Sometimes we've just got to bend our knee and say, God, I may not be right all the time. Cleanse me, wash me, purify me, break me and let me be a humble, teachable individual. You don't know it all. When God's not number one, we become a bunch of donkey heads. When God's not number one, we focus on the past moves of the Holy Spirit instead of looking towards the future, instead of having a lean towards a posture of positivity. We're always looking back. And we begin to devour our own children because there's no vision for our children. There's no vision for the youth. Listen, these people were in desperate situations. These people were in a desperate situation. Desperate times calls for desperate measures. They were in a desperate time. I'm so glad that even in a desperate time, God has mercy on us. I'm so glad that when I read this story, God has mercy even when it's our fault. Even when we, listen, this is awesome. Even when we mess up and it's our fault, God still has grace and mercy upon us. Hallelujah. And this, this brings me to the story of the four lepers. Because remember, there's a famine. And there's four guys, four lepers, at the entrance of the, temple, at the, entrance of the city. They're sitting at the gateway to the city. Now, why are they sitting at the gateway or to the door or the entrance to the city? Because they're full of leprosy. And in the Old Testament, there wasn't a cure for leprosy. So if you had leprosy, you had to stay away from the community, and you had to cry unclean, unclean. So these people were segregated from the community. There's four leprous people, and they're at the gate. They can't go into the city. Why can't they go into the city? They have leprosy. And here is these four leprous people. They can't go into the city. The city is in famine anyway. So they can't go into the city. They have leprosy, and there's no food to eat because it's a famine. And they're sitting at the gate. The Bible says they begin to have a conversation with each other. Look at verse number three, Second Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now there was four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we'll die there. If we sit here, we'll die. Now, therefore, come and let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. And if they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we'll die only. Do you see what they're doing? And I want to bring out three quick points about this story. I love this story. Number one, I want you to see in this story... Number one, I want you to see that they were realistic. These four leprous men was very realistic. I want you to hear their conversation. Their conversation was like this. Uh, we're not going to just sit here and die. We're just not going to do nothing. I mean, they, they reasoned among themselves. They were very realistic. They said, they said well, if, if we go into the city... We're going to die in the city because there's a famine there. But if we sit here, we're going to die too. So if we go into the city, we're going to die because there's no food there. We're not even allowed in the city. If we sit at the gate here, we're going to die because we're full of leprosy and we have no food, we're going to die. But then they said, but let's take a chance and let's just go into the Syrian army. Let's go to the enemy's camp. Remember, there's a famine, there's a Syrian army against God's people. I mean, it's a desperate situation here. And these people, these four leprous men said, I'm not gonna, we're just not gonna sit here and die. Why don't we just take a chance and go into the enemy's camp? And if they kill us, well, they kill us because we're gonna die anyway if we sit at the gate. And if we go into the city, we'll die. So if the, uh, if the enemy kills us, so we have nothing to lose. Maybe we have something to gain. And they took a chance. These four leprous men, they were realistic. They considered their options. They considered their alternatives. They, they, they had a conversation among themselves. They reasoned among themselves. They activated their thought process. They said among themselves, they had healthy conversation. Let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. It's amazing what healthy conversations will do in your life. Healthy conversations with your neighbor. Healthy conversations with church leadership and your spouse. Healthy conversations. It's amazing what conversation will do. Conversation usually brings some sort of result. And sometimes what we do as Christians, we like to sit at the gate and talk about the problem all day long. We like to sit at the gate and talk about everything that's wrong. We talk about how pitiful we are, how poor we are, how we don't have the resources to do it, and how nobody likes us, and nobody cares for us. That is the modern day American mindset is just let's just sit at the gate and wait on God. Am I preaching to anybody in here? And I think some of us has used that phrase so long that you've been waiting on God for 40 years. And the Spirit of the Lord has come to tell me to tell you to get up off of your and do something. Doing nothing is not an option, my friends. You can complain about all you want. You can complain about your children, complain about your family, complain about the church, complain about this. You can sit at the gate. You have an option. You can either be pitiful or powerful, but you cannot be both. And so many of us will sit at the gate and we'll have a pity party over everything that's wrong with our life. And you've got to tell yourself today that doing nothing is not an option. If you don't like your life, you have the ability to change it. If you don't like your finances, you have the ability to change it. If you don't like what you're doing, you have the ability to change it. For the love of God, get up off of yourself and do something for the kingdom of God. Do something. Do something. They sat at the gate, and they had a conversation, and they said this, we're not going to sit here and die. John, I like people like that. They had the attitude, come hell or high water, I'm not just going to sit here and do nothing. I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to do something. If I just got to, if somebody's got to pull me across the gate. I'm not going to sit here and do nothing. I'm going to get my last energy. I'm going to muster up the energy that I have, and I'm going to put one foot above the other, and I'm not going to sit here and be pitiful in my leprous state. I'm going to get up and do something for God. We complain about so-and-so needs this. Why don't you do it? Quit praying about everybody that has a need. If you have the ability to meet somebody's need, you go do it. We spend a lot of our time praying about things you can do. If somebody's hungry, you go feed them. If somebody needs to be clothed, you go clothe them. If somebody needs their grass mowed, you go mow the grass. Quit praying about stuff that you can do. And these people sit at the leprous gate. They said, you know, I'm just not going to sit here and die. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. See, faith is a verb. Faith is action. Listen, I love you guys. I'm preaching strong today because I love you. The vision last week wasn't a bunch of talk. It's action. We're not going to just sit by and do nothing. Even if we do the wrong thing, we're going to do something. Even if it's a broken system, we're going to do something. Even if it's not a perfect system, let's do something. But let's not sit down and just die. You see, faith just doesn't wait. Faith moves. Faith is a verb. Your best option right now in your life is this your best option right now in your life is to move forward. I'm gonna say that again. Your best option right now in your life is to move forward. Pick yourself up and move forward. Go forward. If you gotta struggle, struggle in the right direction. If you gotta cry, cry in the right direction. If you gotta weep, weep in the right direction. If you gotta crawl, crawl in the right direction. If you can just barely make it, just breathe in the right direction. It's not about pace. It's about direction. Even if you're taking a little bit of baby step, refuse to give up, refuse to go back, refuse to surrender to the enemy. If you've got to have somebody to pull you across the finish line, make up your mind. You're not giving up. Make up your mind. You're not giving up. You know why I preach like this? Because I wasn't raised in a Christian home, you've already heard my story. I wasn't raised. I wasn't pampered. I, nobody gave anything to me. I wasn't pampered. I didn't have Christmases like you did. I no 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 nothing was like that. I struggled through my entire childhood and teenage life, and that's why I don't. I really don't have time for people saying they're going to give up because I made a decision a long time ago. Come hell hot, whether Mama comes, whether Daddy goes, whether brother goes, whether sister goes, whether the preacher goes, I have made a decision that I'm going to go all the way, and I don't have time for people, I don't know whether I'm going to make it or not. I don't know whether it's worth the journey. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if it lives on the inside of you, the Bible says it will quicken your mortal body. A Christian refuses to give up. Jesus is on the inside of them. They were realistic. And sometimes you just got to be realistic. You got to consider your options. You got to talk to yourself. They were realistic. Number two, these leprous people, they were risky. They took a risk. You know what they did? They said, you know, if we sit here, we'll die. If we go into the City, we're going to die because there's no food there. And we're leprous, so they're not going to receive us. So we're going to take a risk and we're going to go into the enemy's camp. And they thought, well, if we go into the enemy's camp, they could spare our life or they could kill us. But if they kill us, then we didn't really lose anything because we were going to die. But you know what? Uh, I love the Bible. Because you know what, as I was reading the story, I mean, it was interesting. These four lepers people decided they're going to take a risk. They were risky. They're going to take a risk. I like it. They're like, I don't know if it's going to work or not. I don't know if it's going to work. And listen, we had a great vision Sunday last week. Hopefully, it will work. But you know what I just did? I took a risk because if we do nothing, we'll just sit and do nothing. But why don't we just take a risk and try something? Is there anybody in the building say, Pastor, I want to be risky with you. I want to be risky with you. I'm not going to sit here and die. These people took a risk, and they went into the enemy's camp. And this is what's interesting in the enemy's camp. The Bible says, listen to this. Look, look at verse 5. I love this. Are you ready? Say, everybody say, I'm ready, pastor. Come on, everybody say, I'm ready, pastor. Look at 2 Kings 7 and verse 5. Look at it. And they arose rose at twilight to go into the enemy's camp, right? And when they come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there Now, look at this they had a conversation they were realistic about it they're like let's just take a risk they get up early in the morning and they begin to go to the enemy's camp and when they got there no one was there did you know what happened to the enemy watch this Verse number six, for the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and noise of horses and noise of a great army. And they said, the enemy said to one another, the Israelites probably hired, got the Egyptians and the Hittites to run after us. So you know what happened? When these four leprous people decided they're going to take a risk and they started walking towards the enemy's camp, you know what God did? God magnified their steps loud so that when the enemy heard their steps, the enemy thought it was chariots and horses. I want to let you know that when you take a step of obedience, even when it looks risky, God says, I honor that, and I will magnify your steps greater than you could ever imagine. I'm not going to sit here and die. God says I'll magnify your steps if you try. You do it. But if we sit here, you'll die. If you'll sit in your pity party, you'll die. If you sit and say, I can't, I don't have the resources. Pastor overlooks me. He don't give me an opportunity. I don't like it. Then I'll tell you, if you don't like something, come to me and bring me a solution that's written out and I will consider it that. But never be a person who always brings up problems. If you're a problem person, you're gonna be known as a lesson instead of a blessing. But if you want something changed, be a leader and come to me with a solution and say, I think this is how it needs to be done, instead of telling everybody else, go to the source. Go to the source, sister, so-and-so and and brother so-and-so don't have the power to change it, so why talk about it? Go to the source. And when you go to the source, I will consider the source and the force, how many people are saying it, and then I'll take a course of action. That's leadership. say, Pastor, why did you say all that? Is there a problem? There's no problems whatsoever. I'm just being a leader, using my telescope to remind you when the church grows, there's always more problems, more people, more problems. So I'm just letting you know I'm being prepared for more problems because more people are coming. Because the curtains are coming down, more people are coming, more problems. So I'm just preparing the ground right now to let you know that God is going to do what God said he was going to do. There ain't no, no problems whatsoever. I'm perfectly fine. I'm just letting you know for the future. So they were realistic. They were risky, and God magnified their steps. And in closing, they were realistic, they were risky, and they were right. Brother Mike, you know why they were right? Because the Bible says, to their surprise. I love it. Because, you know, that's what God, I love. When I was reading this, I'm like, Lord, thank you. Because that's usually how God does things. God usually surprises you. How many can raise your hand and say, boy, I need a surprise? (laughs) They took obedience. Obedience preceded the the surprise. They went in, listen, they went in. Can you imagine these four leprous men barely walking? They get into the camp, and to their amazement, like, bro, where's everybody at? Nobody here. And then they look off to their distance, and they see fried chicken. (laughs) And they see mashed potatoes. Can somebody help me out? And they see hot rolls on the table. Come on, somebody. They see collard greens on the table and mac and cheese on the table. They smell the aroma and they're like, my God, let's put some chicken in our pocket. Let's put some chicken because God. Because there was a famine in the land. So they sit down, they begin to eat, they begin to take some silver, they begin to take some supplies and resources, and then they had an epiphany. was the epiphany. Verse number nine, this was the epiphany. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. And we remain silent. If we remain silent, some punishment will come upon us. So you know what they did? They got up and went into the king's household and began to tell everybody, I found some food in the enemy's camp. I found some resources in the enemy camp. God not only took care of us, but he can take care of you. I want to let you know the same God that can fill up the church up the street and the same God that can provide for the church up the street is the same God that we serve and worship, and he's the same God that can do it for us. He's not short on blessings. He ain't short on provision. God is not broke. He's not bankrupt. He's not sick. He's not on nerve medicine. God is supreme. He's strong. He's everlasting. He's the ruler of everything. He sits high, looks low. He's not sick. For leprous, people said, we're not doing right. We got to go tell somebody. They were realistic. They had conversations. They consider their options. That's what good Christians do. You have healthy conversations about things. You consider the options. You don't fight. You sit down and have a conversation. You submit the gods of your opinion. You submit them, and you listen to people and have a conversation. They were realistic. They consider their options. They were risky. They took a risk. And God honored their risk. And they were right. They should not remain silent. They should go tell somebody about what they found. Last week, I said we were going to do several things. And I told you, you, you're not going to be able to remember all of them. But there's one thing I do want you to remember. There's one thing I don't want you to forget, and it's called the 4-D challenge. Why is it called 4-D? because 4 stands for head, heart, hands and feet. The D stands for discipleship or dimension. Discipleship is a process of following Jesus. All right, and I've asked you to commit to four things or five things. I've asked you to commit to these things. I'm asking you this year in 2022 I'm challenging you to commit to these things. I'm number 1 for the for the heart. The heart it represents relationships, it represents worship, it represents community, experience. For the heart, I'm asking you to commit to Sunday morning worship. If you can't come to Sunday morning because you're too busy, then you're doing life wrong. God never called you to work seven days a week. God instituted the Sabbath. He instituted rest. And there should be priority with your family that you worship together on Sunday. Now, sometimes we can't because of work, but you should make it a priority in your life to worship. There are situations where we're sick and we go on vacation. That's understandable. Go take your vacation. But you need to make it a priority that we attend church and that you attend a small group. Our small groups will be starting very shortly. They're, they're going to be trained first, and we'll give you the date very shortly in the next couple weeks. But we want our small group leaders to be trained and speak the same language. But they will start this year, and we're going to have small groups on the first Sunday night of every month, and then the small group leader will pick another night during the month to have small groups. We want to cultivate relationships with each other. Not only relationships, but we want to cultivate you worshiping the Lord in community and studying the Word together. So commit to worship together and commit to a small group. Why? Because somebody needs you. You can't develop friendships by just coming to church once a month or once a week. Number two, for the head, I've asked you to commit to Growth Point 101. Growth Point 101 is the class that we want everybody to go to. Will we have other classes? Growth Point 102, 103, yes, in the future. But Growth Point 101 is the class we want everybody to go through. That's the very basic stuff, the basic stuff of Christianity, how to grow in your head, heart, hands, and feet. You say, well, Pastor, I know all that stuff. I just preached a few moments ago you getting rid of donkey heads. And I'm asking you to go to Growth Point 101 because you need to know the information so you can pass it on to somebody else. I want you to go to Growth Point 101. That'll be on Wednesdays, starting in April and May. April and May for eight weeks. It's on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We're also going to do it on Sunday morning at 8.30 at the church. So if you can't do it on Wednesday, it can be Sunday morning at 8.30. So April and May, Sunday morning at 8.30, and Wednesday nights at 6.30, we're offering one class called Growth Point. It will help you to know the head, heart, hands, and feet, and what it means and how to grow in it. Also the hands. We want you to commit to a ministry team. God has not called you to sit sour and soak. Some of you can be a greeter. Some of you can work with the kids. So I want you to do it because you have a passion for it. It's miserable to work somewhere because you don't have a passion for it. I want you to find somewhere where you have a passion and serve and be committed to it. And number four, I want you to invite and invest one unchurched person this year to this church. And I'm asking you to bring them to June the 12th. June the 12th is a big service that we're going to have at this church. We want to take down the curtains, and we want to fill up the balcony. Let's see if we can do it. And number four, you can do this. Invite and invest. Ask them to come to church with you on June the 12th, and then take them outside and buy them something from a food truck. Invest into their life. Make a phone call. Be their friend. If they don't want to be your friend, that's fine. But find somebody. Be friendly to them. Be friendly to them, all right? invite and invest one unchurched person to this church. This is doable. This may be a risk for some of you, but that's all right. And if they don't like coming to this church or don't want to go to this church and they refuse to come, don't get discouraged. There are 7 billion people in the world. You can invite somebody else. But this is the 4D challenge, and I want you to remember this. Head, heart, hands, and feet. I'm just asking you, this this seems elementary. This is elementary, but... I think it's important. And listen, just because you do these four things doesn't mean you're going to be a mature disciple. It doesn't mean you're going to know all about the Bible. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. No, it doesn't. This is just entry points to other things. This is just primary things we're asking you to do. Is water baptism important? Of course it is. But I'm hoping if you come to church on Sunday morning or you go to growth point, you will learn about water baptism and be baptized. So water baptism be a result of you doing these four things. You see, there's other things that's important, but these are primary things I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take the 4D challenge. And next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to sign your name and say, I'm going to do my best to do this. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to do my best. You may miss a few Sundays. You may miss a a small group. That's all right. But I'm challenging you to get in your heart and mind to be faithful to the best of your ability. All right? And I want you to think about this. And I believe that if we can do this, we can have more volunteers. We can fill this church up. We can be more missional. These are... Very simple things, but these can be powerful things. And just like I preached this morning, those four lepers said it's too good for us not to tell someone. Those four lepers decided, I'm not going to sit here and eat all of this food and take all these resources without me telling somebody. They went out and told somebody the truth. They told somebody that they found some food. And I'm asking you, would you be like one of those lepers? Would you go out and tell somebody I found some food at Christ's point? I found some provision at Christ's point. I'm asking you to come to church on June the 12th with me. You see, you know what evangelism is? It's one beggar telling another beggar where the food's at. And I'm asking you to invite somebody to June the 12th, invite and invest into someone. You say, well, pastor, where do I get involved at? There's a red table in the foyer called the next step booth you can sign up for Growth Point today there's a form there. you can sign up if you want to be on the ministry team you can sign up at the next step booth. The small groups will announce in a few weeks the time and the date where that's going to happen and when that's going to happen. but there's some few things that you can in be involved in right now. We have a ministries, a women's ministry group that's absolutely exploding. You can get involved in the women's ministry group and there's be the other groups that will be involved uh, coming up in the next few weeks. but I'm asking this church let's pull together and do what we can. Some of the other things that we talked about last week was some Sunday nights, we're going to have an Ephesians 4.12 service. And Ephesians 4.12 states that the five-fold ministry, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, and the prophet will train up the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians 4:12 says. And what I want to do on some of our Sunday night services is give people an opportunity to play and to preach and to sing that normally don't have an opportunity. We want to raise up people and give people an opportunity. I know when our very first Ephesians 4:12 service that's coming up in a few weeks, I think it's March the 12th. I think uh, uh, Mike Foubert is going to lead worship that night. So we're going to have people that normally don't preach, normally don't sing, normally don't do. We're going to activate them and push them into ministry. We're going to use our kids some Sunday nights. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. And so these are just small things that we're going to do, but I can't do it myself. Listen, our attendance is growing. People are coming back, but there's more people that should be here, and you have the ability to be their friend and ask them to come to church. Amen? Can I hear an amen? Listen, folks, let me break it down to you. There's Christians in Ukraine that can't worship this morning or worship in private, and I'm asking you to come to church and I'm asking you to join a small group. If they could hear my conversation today, they'd probably laugh at me. Because they're facing death, and I'm asking you, let's let's just do these few things. Let's put it in perspective. All right? I'm not about American theology. I'm about biblical theology. America says, you know, don't go to church, it's too much, it's too much, really? I want you to look at your screen time on your phone this week and see how much you was on your phone compared to how much time you prayed, joined a small group, or went to church. Listen, let's be eternity conscious. You're going to die someday, and they're going to bury you in the ground, and your family's going to forget about you in a few years. Your clothes will be sold. Your house will be sold. And possibly your spouse will marry somebody else. So let's put it in perspective. The only thing that's really going to matter is your soul. All the people that say they love you, they love you, but they're going to move on with their life after you're gone. Let's put it in perspective. The only thing that really, the kids that you love and adore will move on after you're dead and gone. The job That you love, they'll hire somebody else after you're dead and gone. Let's put it in perspective. The only thing that's really going to matter is your soul. And when you're on your deathbed, you're going to play back my life. I wish I did. I wish I did. I wish I could have changed something. And I'm telling you today, don't sit at the gate and just die. Get up off the gate and do something with your life. With your life. You know why I'm saying that? Because I have been by the bedsides of hundreds of people at their time of death. And I have never heard anybody say, I wish I worked more hours on my job. Oh, I wish. I always heard this, Pastor. I wish my priorities was right. That's what I've heard. I wish I would have served God more. One person at the deathbed said, Pastor, I was just full of excuses all my life. So and so, thank God for grace. Let's live our life with no regrets. Amen. Boy, Pastor, that's a Debbie Downer. I'm just telling you the truth. Telling you the truth. Let's put our life in perspective, and I'm asking you, let's do the 4D challenge.